Lots of people come up and they say, well, what about the baptism in the Spirit? If you concentrate on experience, you end up in a problem because experience changes from day to day. But the truth of God's eternal. And lots of people, because of the kind of teaching, have sought for experiences. And they're not based on any biblical basis. They're based on some ecstatic feeling or emotional high and that is not Christianity I'm totally against it always have been always will be because it, it does damage to people when you start trying to get them into experiences I don't do it consequently when we got the questionnaire and they asked questions I cancelled some of the questions out I wouldn't let them put them in one of them you know was uh, sensing the presence of God well what do you mean by that and I hate that kind of formula uh, because it then means people go for emotional experiences and then think that the emotion is God God is not emotion now when he meets people sometimes their emotions will be affected but it must be truth that reaches and convicts the heart that produces the emotion, not emotion for emotion's sake. Uh, emotion for emotion's sake, not based on truth, is just a freak-out. And a lot of people have freak-outs. And God never intended that. My Bible says you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But an experience devoid of truth is deception. That's the way it is. Is that plain? Hello. I'm just trying to lay the groundwork before I start so you understand. Now that doesn't mean I don't believe in the gift of tongues or the gifts of the Holy Ghost. Of course I do. But what I don't believe in is trying to seek an experience. Never have, never will. Um, I don't believe in people having visions where the vision is in their imagination. If your vision is in your imagination, it's your imagination that's working, not God. If your vision's in your spirit, you don't see it in your imagination. It's a totally different realm. Uh, you have eyes in your spirit, but your normal imagination is not the realm where God works. You have to understand that. If you don't understand that, it's because you're not born again, that's all. And so I want to talk about the new life we have in Christ. Because to me, I take the um, position, as I've always taken, that when you come into Christ, you're baptized by one spirit into one body. And you can't be in the body of Christ unless you've been baptized by one spirit into that body. You can't be. So there is no sense in which... You can actually be a true Christian without being full of the Holy Ghost. And you can't actually become a Christian without experiencing the Holy Spirit. Because if he doesn't move in you and convict of sin, of righteousness, then bring judgment against the things that are wrong, you're not a Christian. And when that happens, it happens with a total transformation and you become a new creation in Christ. Now, there is no such thing as a second blessing. There is no such thing as a third blessing and a fourth blessing. There are many blessings. God can bless me in many ways, but that is nothing to do with new birth. And what has happened is people have, like, they've divided um, eschatology into seven steps. So they've just divided things up into seven steps but if you think a baby when it's born it does not have experiences of birth beyond the one when it comes to life once the baby's in life potentially that baby has everything everything is there now not all the faculties are used instantly only because it takes time to mature and grow and, and the baby needs feeding and providing it gets the right food and is looked after, everything will develop. 
but it's there. You don't, the baby does not need another experience in order to develop. Everything is there. Genetically, it's implanted in the child, and with food, and with exercise, and with education, and everything, all the faculties develop, but there is no sense in which the person suddenly develops by an experience, bump into something else, that is not so. There's just growth. And for a person who's born again and becomes a spiritual person, from the day they're born, they have everything. There is nothing more you can have than Jesus Christ. That is it. When Christ comes, Father comes, Holy Spirit comes, I believe in the Trinity, the three in one, and when Christ lives in you, you're alive in God. And when you're alive in God, you're translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, and that is it. You have everything you're ever going to have. Now, it doesn't mean you move in everything you've got. A baby basically doesn't get up on the first day in a pram and read the times. And look at the births to see where, where it is in the births column. I mean, they don't do that, do they? No. Well, they wouldn't. And there's a sense in which when you're born again, you have life, you have joy, you have certainty, but what you don't have is all your faculties functioning because you need to desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby and growth is the thing the only thing that counts and the idea that somehow out there there's an experience beyond is totally and completely unbiblical and many people are conned and they go for meetings where they're told there's a deeper life you cannot go deeper than Jesus a higher way. You cannot go higher than Jesus Christ. So when God comes and births you from above, it's by the Holy Spirit, and in essence you have everything. My dear friend T.L. Osborne says it so irritates him when people start to pray for him and say, oh, you know, anoint him afresh. He doesn't need a fresh anointing. There's only one anointing. Jesus is the anointed one. And he lives in me and he lives in you. So what would you need a different anointing for? Only if you're going to go into error. And how can you have something extra than God? If you've got God himself living within you, what else is there? Hmm? But a lot of people are as daft as toothbrushes. They just think, you know, there's some experience. Uh, the only reason you go wrong is one reason, sin. The only reason your life gets in a mess is rebellion against the will of God. That's all. It's all simple. And the only way you'll grow is by desiring the sincere milk of the word. If you don't feed, then you're going to grow up emaciated and your spirit won't develop as God intends. But the only reason it doesn't develop as God intends is because you have failed to take the benefits that are provided. You've got to have balance in the same way. If you just read your Bible but you don't live it and you don't exercise yourself and you don't do and live the Christian way, you're going to get out of balance. And it's often, you can see it in someone's physical makeup, exactly what's really in their spirit. God intends us to be balanced people. And there's a simple way to remain balanced. An extreme of something, an extreme of truth takes you into error. You take something to the point, the trouble is, because there's an element of truth in it, you get deceived and people can spin a yarn 
and they spin a story and they have an element of truth in it the trouble is the emphasis and the spin they put on it makes it a lie so some people even when they're telling the truth they're lying that's what the devil does he's a liar a liar from the beginning and it's the way it works you'll never have a healthy spiritual life while you lie You'll never have a spiritual life while you don't feed on the Word. You'll never have a spiritual life if you don't live what God intends you to live. You just won't. You'll grow unhealthy. And I see a lot of people do that. But it's not because they need some great experience. It's the same way. If you sit down and you do nothing, your muscles atrophy. You know your skills, uh, your brain works, and if you use your brain, it develops. If you do nothing with your brain, you get in trouble. A lot of people, they, they sit down and they live in a mess, emotional mess, because they just don't get up and work. They don't use their brain. They don't exercise their senses. They don't think. But healthy living is part of using your body. A bodily exercise profits a little. Unfortunately, there's some people that get fixated with it and then they start going and they make fools of themselves because they uh, over-exercise and over-exercise and don't eat properly and don't have a balanced start. And it's not long before they're on a treadmill to disaster. <laughs> Matthew chapter 3. Okay, we want to look. We want health, don't we? Matthew chapter 3. You'll find in verse 11, uh, John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire whose fan is in his hand, and he will truly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Jesus, it was foretold, will baptize with the Holy Ghost. Now to be baptized in the Holy Ghost and baptized with fire <laughs> is very important. Uh, John's Gospel, chapter 1. John 1. John 1 and verse 33. And John, oh, verse 32, And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom you shall, thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. All right? Are you with me? That was John's Gospel, chapter 1. The Spirit of God descended on Jesus in the form of a dove and abode upon him. And I want you to know that the new covenant was not introduced then at all and to suggest that somehow Jesus was baptized in the Holy Ghost is a misnomer because Jesus obviously would not have had to have his heart cleansed and his life cleansed the the baptism of the Holy Ghost was connected with fire with cleansing purging and Jesus did not need that because he was sinless he never sinned and he was not baptized in the Holy Ghost in the way that you and I are because God did not need to wash him clean, did not need to purge him. He is God. 
And it was a sign for John the Baptist to understand that the anointing had come upon Jesus Christ. He was the anointed one and he saw it and he knew that this was the Son of God. He understood it prophetically. But there is no basis for expressing that as a baptism of the Holy Spirit because clearly it can't be like Matthew where the definition of the baptism is truly purging the floor. Okay? Jesus is the one who baptizes in the Holy Ghost. Is that plain? You understand what I'm saying? So don't let anyone tell you, well, Jesus needed to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. So, uh, you know, it, it was a second experience. All right, John 7. John 7 and verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. All right? Without glorification, that means without Jesus Christ going into glory and sitting at the right hand of the Father, being our high priest, our advocate, after the resurrection and ascension, it was impossible for someone to receive the Holy Ghost. He was not yet glorified. Is that plain? The new covenant only starts when Jesus Christ ascends into heaven. Before then, there is no possibility of anyone receiving the Holy Spirit. They didn't. Now the Holy Spirit came upon people and moved upon people, but it was an outward manifestation such as the prophets in the Old Testament, but there was no sense in which the Holy Spirit abode upon people and abode within them and Christ made his dwelling place within them and their spirits were regenerate. That did not happen till after Jesus was glorified. Plain? Okay. So there's no way you can say, oh well, they have one experience and then another. Let's look at Acts chapter 1. Jesus talking to the disciples, Acts chapter 1, and verse 4, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, you have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Now, notice, he says, you wait, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. That means you're going to be immersed, and your spirit is going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit, and you will be regenerated and totally transformed by the power of the Spirit. It's going to happen. God is going to do it. Do you understand that? It's plain, isn't it? And then he goes on. Verse 8. You shall receive power, that's authority, after the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now it was quite plain when this happened, the thing that happens is you're going to be a living witness. Now you can't be a living witness until you have life. Once you have life, you're a witness because your life is the witness of the reality of salvation. Everything you are is a living witness of what Christ has done in you, isn't it? 
when Christ meets you for the first time and you're truly baptized in the Holy Ghost, you can begin to express what you are and what God's done. Up to that point, it is just a, a philosophy, a theology, an idea, but it is certainly not Christianity. Because Christianity is to do with life and witness. It is not to do with uh, a philosophy. And so a person who hasn't been truly filled with the Holy Ghost cannot be a witness. And Jesus made it plain. He said, you wait at Jerusalem till it happens. When it happens, you can be a witness to me everywhere. That's what will make you a witness. And that is the only way to be a true witness. And anyone who's truly born again is a witness. If you can't share your faith, it's because you're not filled with the Holy Ghost and you haven't been born again. That's your problem. Because it's the natural thing, if you have life in you, is to share that life. Just part of the nature of the Holy Spirit within. If you're born again, the natural thing is to live a Christian life. It's as natural as breathing. And if it isn't natural, then you haven't ever been born again. Simple as that. Now, it's dead easy, isn't it? Well, let's go on. The gift of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost had miraculous manifestations. And you'll find that in Acts chapter 2. Verse 2 to 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty, a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where, and that word house there is translated temple uh, often, where they were seat seating, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, it was what the Spirit did, it wasn't what they did. The Spirit gave them utterance and they spoke with tongues. There was a mighty rushing wind and that was a manifestation. But let me say something quite clearly, that you can't take an experience uh, and a record of experience and make a doctrine of it because that is error. You can take an experience and you can say, well, these people had that experience, but that is not a doctrine. There's no theology in that. And a lot of people take experiences and make a theology of it, which is dangerous. What happened there, I haven't seen many people who have known tongues of fire sitting on their heads, but I've known many people who are born again, speak in tongues, and God has met them and transformed them, but they haven't heard a mighty rushing wind. Now, just because those miraculous accomplishments came on the day of Pentecost, God was ushering in a totally new age. And the miraculous manifestation that surrounds it can be anything God chooses. God will do what God will do. I've heard of instances where he's done other miraculous things. Totally different. But don't make a doctrine of it. Don't make a, a theology. It's not that. It is a record, historical record of what happened at that time to those people. And you will find it's nowhere else in Scripture. That's it. And many times you'll find things that are in Scripture, it's a one-off. You can't make a doctrine of it. And if you don't base everything in your life on the solid Word of God you'll get in trouble. And unfortunately, a lot of people have taken one scripture or two scriptures, made theology out of it, and made shipwreck because they've twisted scripture. And the easiest way is to find two or three proof texts for what you want, and you can sink people. It's dangerous. Acts um, chapter 10 
you'll find um, uh, verse 44, Peter was at the house of Cornelius, you remember? And while, in verse 44, Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them that which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized. Now if you go back to Acts 2, you realize that there, and Peter said, Repent, believe, and be baptized every one of you, and you shall receive the Holy Ghost. They got it in the wrong order this time. They got filled with the Holy Ghost, then got baptized. Who knows? God's God. But it wasn't the same as on the day of Pentecost. Tongues was the same. That was it. Now, none of the Jews thought a Gentile could receive the Holy Spirit because most of the Jews felt that it was totally, they were God's people and this salvation was just going to be for them. And so they were quite shocked when they found God born in the Gentiles as well. And this was a devout Gentile born in and filled with the Holy Ghost. In other words, born from above. But m let me make it plain. There is no sense in which it was a secondary experience. Cornelius was not born again. The Gentiles were not born again. And these are the only two instances in Acts of the Apostles where you've got a record of a mass baptism of the Holy Ghost where the Holy Spirit just fell on them. The only two places, uh, Cornelius' household and Peter at the beginning on the day of Pentecost. Now, it wasn't the norm in the church. You've got at Ephesus where they laid hands on them because they'd only received John's baptism and they prayed with them and Paul preached Jesus, laid hands on them and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. You've got an instance where... Uh, Philip went down as an evangelist to Samaria, preached the gospel, Holy Ghost wasn't fallen on any of them, so along come the apostles and lay hands on them, pray for them as individuals. It was totally different from the day of Pentecost and totally different from Cornelius' household. So there is no pattern for new birth. Doesn't mean you have it this way or that way. And what the church has always tried to do and what... Um, denominations have tried to do is work out a pattern and method for getting people into life and the truth is the Bible doesn't give us one the Bible doesn't give us a pattern for church life every epistle is written to correct imbalance it's not written to explain the way it should be it's written to redress the balance away from what it shouldn't have been do you understand that? And every church is different. If you read Revelation, you discover that to, to the message to the seven churches, every church got a different message. Why? Every church had a different problem. And that's the way it is. And God builds something different wherever he is. That's why the curse of the internet and the curse of communication, where people try and copy what someone else has got is a curse in the Christian world. Uh, uh, let's go and do something else. And that everyone's looking for formulas. And the truth is, there is no formula. God will do what God will do, how he'll do it, and totally differently every time. And so I don't believe there's ever a time when you can say, well, the church must be like this or the church must be like that. Uh, God will do what he'll do, how he'll do it, in every place totally uniquely. Because he's God. That's why ministries are all unique. They might be the same administration, but it's different. Uh, different administrations, rather, but the same gift, it says in 1 Corinthians um, 14. Uh, same gift, but people function in it differently. There, there's people that have... Weird things. There was a man called um, Willie Branham. And he used to sit down on a chair 
and people used to walk up on the platform and he'd sit down and while they were walking up he would tell them their name, their address, their relatives, what they'd come for without ever seeing them before and they'd walk up and he'd pray for them and then they'd walk off the other side and miracles, tremendous miracles would happen. But after he'd pray for 12 or 14 people, he'd have to be carried off the platform exhausted. Oral Roberts, on the other hand, he prayed for people, and he sat down and he put his hands on people. They walked up, they were bored up, and he'd lay hands, pray for them individually, and people would go off, and tremendous miracles would happen. In fact, he prayed for so many, he actually broke his shoulders, fractured them. Then you had someone who had a bouncing ball ministry, had a rubber ball, and he'd bounce it, and he'd go out into the congregation, the first one to catch it got healed. I mean, you know, heck. I mean, you, you figure that one out. I mean, what can you say? The people, are, there, there's people, there was one man, uh, who, who used to just get up and read a scripture by his stripes you were healed and, and people all over the place would get healed just read that, that's all he'd do another guy who had a real healing ministry he'd go and he'd stop and the only thing he knew to do he couldn't preach to pull up his socks so what he'd do is flog books flog books until God turned up and once God turned up it's close the market down and, and, and pray for the sick now I don't understand it I, I don't actually want that kind of gift I believe in T.L. Osborne's way which is just preach the gospel and God will confirm it with signs following, that's what Oral did Oral would always preach and then pray for the sick and that's the way I believe it should be but I'll tell you what, God does it differently with every ministry I've seen. In chapter 11, Paul recount, uh, Peter recounting this said, verse 15, As I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, as on us at the beginning. Then I remembered I the word of the Lord how he said John indeed baptized with water but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost for as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ what was I that I could withstand God when they heard these things they held their peace and glorified God saying then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Now look what they defined it as. Repentance unto life. They didn't define it as a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. They, they defined it as repentance unto life. And that is the important thing to understand. Uh, Peter when he got up it says repent believe be baptized every one of you you shall receive the Holy Spirit and basically every single person that comes to true repentance and turns from their life and relies on the forgiveness of God and relies on receiving new life in Christ and quits their sin those people are born again or baptized in the Holy Ghost or baptized by one spirit into one body, they come alive. Or as Peter puts it, repentance into life. That's what it is. Now, should you all speak in tongues well? At Ephesus, that some spake in tongues, it says some prophesied. Other places it doesn't mention the gift of tongues. There's only two places where tongues are mentioned. One was the initial Pentecost, the second one, and I want to say that I do not believe in initial evidence. Never have, never will. Uh, if you believe everyone must speak in tongues to be baptized in the Holy Ghost, there is no biblical warrant for it at all. I believe that all should speak with tongues. I would that all did, but... 
I know this, that some people have prophesied, some people have had tremendous gifts of healing, words of knowledge, faith, and yet then they haven't spoken in tongues. So tongues is not an issue. I think um, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he said, do all speak with tongues, do all prophesy, have all the gifts of healing. Well, the truth is no. Some do, some don't. Now, I don't have any explanation. I believe all can speak in tongues, and they need a release in their spirit in order to do so. But it's not something they receive, it's something they have, but haven't moved into. In the same way, babes have different skills. As a child grows up, it learns different skills. Now, doesn't mean the child has to get new faculties, it's just different skills. Some people learn to play the piano. Doesn't mean that they've got different hands, or they've got different arms, or they've got different ears. No, they're just developing their faculties. Some sing. Some play other musical instruments. Well, they had the ability to do it. It was embodied in them. What they didn't do is they didn't develop it. When they develop it, they have the talent. And the gifts of the Spirit are there, and in the same way, they're present. And you can't have the Holy Spirit within you without all the gifts of the Spirit being there because they are the Spirit's manifestations. And the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man. So there's no way that you can say, well, I haven't got this gift or I haven't got that gift. Yes, you have, potentially. You might not function in it, but that's a different thing. You don't need to be baptized in the Spirit in order to function because you already have the Spirit when you're born from above. If so be, you've had a true encounter with the living God. Is that clear? I think Oral puts it best. Um, Oral Roberts says this, that many people need a release in their spirit. They need to begin. They've already got, you've got the river of living water in you. Because if you've drunk of Jesus, that river of life's there, flowing. What you might need, you might need a release to, to functioning gift. But that, that doesn't mean you're receiving something from outside. You, you're just really expressing what was already inwardly there. Okay? Is that plain? So don't let anyone get you trying to get something from outside. And don't think by fasting and prayer you'll get it. That is rubbish. You'll get lighter. But, you know, by grace you say through faith and that not of yourself... It's a gift of God. It's all by grace. Uh, and you don't become holy by not eating. You become hungry, not holy. And it is, it is a pagan custom from Persia and Babylon. It is not Christian. That's it. Now, you've got to understand that... Um, Peter quoted Joel and he said this is that which was prophesied uh, and he pointed backwards and, and they all look back and say well in the Old Testament it said this and Jesus pointed backwards but the prophecies were for the new covenant you know um, Jeremiah, Isaiah prophesied it Ezekiel prophesied it Ezekiel 36 verses 24 to 7 a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. All, all the scriptures that are there, which um, make it real, or, or um, in Jeremiah where it says he'll write his laws in our hearts and in our minds. In other words, the old mosaic has gone, and we go to the Abraham who lived by faith, and we're people of faith, and the thing is written in our natures because our spirit has become one spirit with God's spirit and the law is written in our hearts and in our minds now if that hasn't happened you're not born again and you're not baptized in the Holy Ghost and it's one and the same thing uh, John 15 
And verse 26 says this, But when the Comforter, that's the Holy Spirit, is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. And you also shall bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. All right? The Holy Spirit has come. What's he come to do? To testify of Jesus. I worry a lot when I hear people, they always want to talk about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. I worry about that because I find this, that anyone who's truly born from above talks about Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit came to manifest Jesus. When he's lifted up, he draws all men unto him. We're not here to try and talk about gifting and watch your ministry and find your place. and That is not what it's about. Hey, we're here to lift up and magnify Jesus Christ. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he testifies of Jesus. I remember a man coming to our church and he said, you know the trouble with this church is you're too Jesus-centered. I said, thank you. I said, I take that as a compliment. He said, no, he said, you don't teach, you don't talk all the time about the Holy Spirit. Well, we're not called to. And the Holy Spirit, when he truly comes, he testifies of Jesus. I like that. I prefer that way. Don't you? I, the, the other way, the emphasis is all wrong. And he's called, you'll notice in verse 26, he's called the Spirit of Truth. Now that is because he interprets truth and guides us into all truth. And what he's doing is he's really, when the Holy Spirit comes, he quickens us and he makes us alive. I remember when God birthed me from above, people could come to me and tell me all sorts of funny doctrines, but I never believed any of them. The reason was... God the Spirit lived within me and he told me it was wrong. And I'd say, oh no, somewhere in the Bible it'll say so and so and so and so. And sure enough, they'd look it up and it was there. Now, I was a babe in Christ, but God come to live in me and I knew what was right and wrong by my nature. And if you don't know that, you need to get born from above. That's it. It was just part of your nature you know now he's the spirit of truth there's no lie in him devil's a liar that's why one of the most essential ingredients of any Christian is truth you do understand that because you've got to come to truth honesty integrity and truth are the essential parts you can't be a Christian if you haven't got the spirit of truth uh, if you've got the spirit of truth, truth is your nature. The devil's a liar. So if you're a liar, you're like your father the devil. He was a liar from the beginning. And then you're not a Christian. Can't be. So you've always got to understand truth is an essential part uh, of a Christian life. When the Holy Spirit comes, he is the spirit of truth. Now, there's certain things that happened when the Spirit came. He brought an inner spiritual bond. Everyone had everything in common. They were of one heart and one mind. When you're truly born from above, you become a one heart and one mind. In other words, your purpose is to fulfill the will of God and to build his church. That was the purpose in the early church. You'll find every time there was conversions, it was immediately, they were all of one heart and mind, they had all things common, they had a common purpose, common goal, common Lord, common life. And without that, you aren't baptized in the Holy Ghost and you aren't born again. Commitment to the common purpose is part of a Christian's being. They're conscious of their mission. In other words, they know that our whole purpose is to bring others into the life of Christ. That's what we live for. No other purpose to live on this earth if we're not bringing other people into new life. If we have life ourselves, that's our whole purpose in life, to bring others in. We've been endued with power, what for? 
for good works. We're created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Witnessing for Christ, working miracles, and moving in the power and gifts of the Holy Ghost. That's what we're here to do. Now anyone that's truly born again, that is the center of their life. If that is not the center of your life, then you are not living a Christian life. That's it. You're not. And there's no excuse to say, well, I'm not born again, so I can't help it. You need to repent and humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You need to clean up your act, get your life right, and by repenting of your life and giving up yourself and coming to the cross, you can walk in newness of life in Jesus Christ. So there is no excuse. God commands all men everywhere to repent. You are without excuse. If you're living and you're outside of that fellowship and you're outside of that life, you are without excuse. God has commanded all men everywhere to repent. And if you're living in bitterness and you're living in separation from the will of God, you must repent. You must turn and you must humble yourself and you must die to yourself and come alive unto God. <coughs> that is it. It is not an option. It's not an also. It's not something... It is the fundamental essential of Christianity. The cross of Jesus Christ is the power of God under salvation. The gospel is the power of God under salvation. No cross, no crown. You cannot be a Christian and live for yourself. You cannot be a Christian and go your own way. You cannot be a Christian, fill over the Holy Ghost and live in rebellion and independence. You cannot. It's impossible. They're mutually exclusive. That is why in the early church, when Ananias and Sapphira came... They wanted to come and give a certain amount of money and keep money back. And God saw it. He said, you can't buy things. Look at the sorcerer that came along. He said, I'll give you money for this. You can't buy God. And you can't buy appeasement of your conscience. Repentance is the only way. Deny yourself, humble yourself, come under the mighty hand of God and turn from sin. That means independence from him. That is the only way into life. Is that plain? Do you think you can buy prosperity and success by promising God he doesn't need your money? Your money perish with you. He doesn't want it. What he wants is you to stop your rebellion. What he wants you to do is repent. terrible thing for people to do Elimaeus the sorcerer that's what it is, witchcraft rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft Elimaeus the sorcerer, come on I'll give you money I've heard people, they're making bargains with God oh if you do this God I'll give you that thank you very much is that plain? don't ever try and make a deal with God that is blasphemy that is cursed God curses it. And when God curses it, it's wise not to get in the way. Very wise. It's just not the way God deals with things. Nowhere do we find in Scripture, uh, you know, a repetition of the baptism of the Spirit. We don't find it. Uh, you say, well, what about when our house was shaken and the ho ho they were all filled with the Holy Ghost? Yeah, they were. They were all filled. <coughs> Doesn't mean they were refilled. You can't be filled beyond where you're filled. They were all filled. It was a testimony. They lived in the power of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean they had another filling but people like to put it that way 
because if you're full, what can you put in? If you have a river coming out, overflowing, what can you put in? Well, you tell me. What can you put in? If you go and there's a jug overflowing, what will you be able to get into the, to the vessel? Have you ever run a tap and left it running and it floods over? Now, no matter how long you leave the tap running, is it going to fill it more? What's it going to do? It's going to make the puddle bigger, isn't it? Uh, and that's the truth of it. There is no sense in which you can be filled, filled, filled when you're full. And we're full of the Holy Ghost. So I don't understand where they get their doctrines. 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 13 says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. How are you born into the body of Christ? whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. You cannot be in the body unless you're baptized in the spirit. Impossible. There's no way to be part of the body. It's a permanent, it's an abiding gift. And you'll find, go back to John 14, verse um, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you an, another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. Now, let me explain this. If you want to say, ah, oh, there you are, you see, you have to be born again before you can receive the Spirit. No. What happens is you have to repent and come to Christ and turn from your sin completely and come out of the world. If you don't come out of your ways and the world's ways and the ways of sin and death, and turn from it totally, you cannot receive the Holy Spirit. It, it, you can have experiences of the Spirit. And those experiences are not um, true abiding experiences. You can have encounters with God, but the truth is there has to be a true repentance, a true turning, and a true yielding to God, and then you're baptized in the Holy Ghost. He won't pour his Spirit about out on people who are going to live in sin who have no intention of turning he will not do it they have never now they might say they've spoken in tongues but you can speak in tongues by your human spirit and you can speak in tongues by a demonic spirit it is nothing to do with the holy spirit so don't think tongues is somehow a christian phenomena alone it is not and there is a great mistake made by many people who think that tongues is somehow limited to people who've genuinely got the Holy Spirit. That's not so. The way I know that someone has the Holy Spirit is if you love me, you keep my commandments. In other words, life change, life transformation is an essential part. Repentance is an essential part. You must be born again. You cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot enter into the kingdom of God. There must be repentance. <laughs> That's the only way in. Uh, the idea that you can receive gifts... Without that, and you're to walk in the Spirit, you're to be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit's the earnest of our inheritance. You cannot turn around and say, oh, well, you know, I had an experience. I see a lot of people, and it worries me, um, the modern-day gimmicks of the church, because the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Repentance is an essential part of coming to life and without it and without true forgiveness of sins there is no baptism of the Holy Ghost is that plain and that is what worries me in the modern day because people aren't told 
Repent! God commands all men everywhere. You must turn. You are not allowed to live anyway. You've got to turn. And without that, what are they getting? <coughs> it's another gospel. They might get some feeling of peace. They might get some experience of power, but it isn't the Holy Ghost. It's dangerous when you promise people what God has laid conditions upon. And you take the conditions away. And you say, oh look, we don't want to be negative. And our whole purpose in life is to challenge people and face them up. I'll tell you how you know. Who do you enjoy being with most? That tells you who you belong to. If you love the world more than you love Christ, it's because you don't belong to him. I don't belong there. You become one heart and one mind and one spirit with the people of God. You don't belong with the world. I don't like the world. I don't like their nature, their way, their filth, their promises, their abundance. I hate it. Why? Because it's so destructive to the soul. A repentance takes you out of it. You know, when you repent, you decide that the world isn't going to be your friend. And if the world's your friend, friendship with the world makes you the enemy of God. If you can be more friendly with a worldly person than a true Christian, I'll tell you what you are, you're a devil. Because you're an enemy of God. You made your choice when you became a Christian. And that's what happens. And all over the place, people think, oh, well, you know, friendship evangelism is devil evangelism. Then it's confrontation. Sin is the issue. Jesus Christ came to save his people from their sin. If you're not a witness to that, you're witnessing nothing. If you can go and you can party with the world and you can live like the world, you aren't a Christian. You can't be. Because you're still of the same spirit as them. And you'll go to hell with them. But someone who's born of God, he belongs in the household of faith. Couldn't go out of it. It's his nature. It's his home. It's his family. Do you know Abraham was called out from his family, from his tribe, and from his kindred? When the Holy Ghost comes, those three things go. If you're more loyal to your family than you are to God, you're not a Christian. You're certainly not living like one. I belong to him. God's my father. Holy Ghost is my comforter. Jesus Christ is my saviour. That's it. The only family I acknowledge is my family which is born in heaven. I'm born from heaven. That's my family. And if that is not your experience, you haven't had an encounter with the Holy Ghost. Got the wrong ghost. It's the truth. Jesus had some things to say about people. Say, oh, I've just got married. Oh, well, I've got a business deal. Just bought a yoke of oxen. Oh, I've got this problem. Oh, someone in the family's just died. I better go. You know, it's my responsibility. Jesus said, if you don't hate brother, sister, father, mother can't be my disciple do you think he meant it well do you think he meant it I believe in family family of God I believe the church is a big family but I want to tell you you've got to make up your mind who, who, who's your father is it your earthly father or is it your heavenly father if he's your father then you belong to a different family and if you go back to your old family, you go back to the sin. 
That's the truth. And in the end, you've got to choose. Are you a person of faith or not? And you see, the church doesn't want to put it out that way anymore. They want to compromise it because it offends people and they get mad and they say, oh, you know, well. But that's what I believe. That's what the Bible teaches. And I'll go on with it on Sunday. <clears throat> 